o'clock. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mr. Belair. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, how about Roger? Mr. Belair is my father. <laughs> uh, that's no problem. Uh, how are you doing, Roger? I'm doing great. Good. I'm, uh, I'm really thankful that you're taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Oh, of course. I, you know, anything that helps the sport, uh, I'm, you know, just count me in. Hey there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. Welcome to Pickleball Problems. Today on the show, we have a feature interview with Roger Belair. After a successful business and writing career, the 72-year-old now travels around the United States teaching pickleball to people in prisons. Over the last few years, Roger has gained notoriety for his work and has been featured in print media, television, and radio. Today I talk with him about the ins and outs of teaching pickleball on the inside, as well as what drives him to bring pickleball to people who in many cases have been convicted of society's most serious crimes. I hope you'll listen. We want to thank our sponsor Jigsaw Health. Cramping is a real pickleball problem, but Jigsaw can help. Check out the review we posted on thirdshotsports.com in the hydration and recovery section. You can even use the promo code PB. 3S S10 to save yourself $10 on their products. That's promo code PB3S S10 to save $10 on Jigsaw Health products. Jigsaw Health. It's fun to feel good. Before we talk about the work you do teaching pickleball, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about your background. What's what's your history with the sport? Well, my background is is in finance. Um I, I ended up doing some unique things in real estate and then ended up some, with some publicity. We were on the cover story of Money Magazine, and that can really open some doors, and it certainly did for me. Well, I was asked to write a couple books, one on investing and another one on banking, and, and that evolved Mark into being on the professional speaking career where I would talk to business groups about banking. Frankly, it's a lot easier to find a new group than it is a new speech. But I was so I traveled around the country a little bit doing this and had a great time. But it helped me teach. It helped me learn how to be a speaker. And when I fell in love with pickleball, it was only natural that I just start teaching the sport. Mm, so the teaching background, the, the sort of coaching background came first, and then you discovered pickleball, and that was sort of a, right. a natural transition. And, yes, and who doesn't love the game? And, you know, when you're so passionate about something, and I think that's probably a real key word is to have the passion. It's very easy to teach. And so, I, frankly, I enjoy teaching more than I do playing. But, of course, I, I play probably four, five, six times a week. <laughs> now, what, I mean, people will be familiar, uh, perhaps, and, you know, in the lead-up to the show, we let them know. You go around the United States teaching pickleball, bringing pickleball into prisons. What made you want to do this? Well, here's what happened. I, I, I watched 60 Minutes, and I have for years, and I'm sitting there with my wife one night, and they have a segment on Cook County Jail. And Tom Dart, who's the guy that runs it, and Cook County Jail's in Chicago. And as you can imagine, it's just an incredible task trying to you know, run this organization. Cook County uh, in Chicago, they have more homicides in L.A. and New York combined. 
And Tom mm-hmm. was talking about the challenges of, you know, having six, 7,000 inmates. And I said to myself, watching this piece, you know, it'd be so great if these guys weren't just sitting around playing cards or watching TV, if they could get some exercise, like pickleball. And so I sat down, frankly, and wrote him a fan letter and said, you know, you're doing a great job at, back there from everything I can see, but I'd be willing to come back there at my own expense. I'll bring all the equipment, and I'll teach the people you have sitting there waiting for trial pickleball. And what happened next was kind of interesting because my wife has a media background, and she said, well, Roger, Mr. Dart, Sheriff Dart gets an awful lot of letters, and I'm sure you're well-intended, but please don't expect an answer. And I almost didn't. But what I understand later happened is is he, at the dinner table, happened to say, you know, I got this letter from this guy, and he's talking about a game called pickleball. And then what happened, Mark, is his eight-year-old daughter kind of rolled her eyes and said something like, oh, Dad, you're so out of it. I'll tell you about pickleball. Oh, so, so, he didn't, so he didn't even know. He didn't know. He, di- he didn't know. And if it hadn't have been for her, uh, probably my letter would have ended up in the round file. But then he went on and did a little bit of research, and it wasn't too long after that, and I was on an airplane back to Chicago to work with, they're actually called detainees. You're not an inmate unless you're found guilty. But if you're waiting for your trial, you're a detainee. So I was, was on my way back to Chicago to teach these guys the game, guys and women. Mm, wow. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, I'm always interested when people are doing something kind of unique or, or unexpected about the logistics that are involved with this. I mean, what was the process? Can, can anyone just, you know, write a letter and walk in and be someone who's now teaching teaching something like pickleball to detainees? Or like, what was that process like to sort of to take you from writing that letter to the sheriff to actually getting you through the doors? Well, now it's a lot easier because there's been so many articles written about me that it helps establish uh, some credibility as far as pickleball on the inside. The first time around, of course, I was vetted to make sure that I had a clean background and and invited in. Nobody back there had heard about the game at all. So I was a complete newbie, and it was real experience working with these men and women, and they had not heard about it and their reaction. Um, obviously, you have a prison like Chicago Cook County Jail. You have an incredible amount of security about going from you know one, one, one room into another. I had a letter that was sent to 11 different department heads that I showed every time I went through a security checkpoint. And it was, you know, it was sent to 11 different people. I probably showed that seven, eight, nine times a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So prisons are, prisons are not warm and friendly places. It's a place to avoid. Yeah. Spe- speaking of these logistics, so I'm wondering, I'm trying to imagine how, you know, and I guess it differs from place to place is, where is it that the pickleball actually takes place? Is it is it outside? Is it inside? Is it? T- can you tell us a little bit more about um, sort of where it is within the prison that you find yourself doing this teaching? Well, it's, it's both. It really depends on what the situation is. Let me give you the difference in the definition between a jail and a prison because a lot of people don't know. 
you're arrested for or charged with a crime, you're taken to jail, and that's where you stay until you get your court date. And then if it's two or three months uh, determined by the, the, the judge, you're gonna stay in that facility because it's very short term. If it's over a year, then what you are is you're sent to a prison. So there's a real difference between a jail and a prison. Now, jails have a, a much more mobile uh, you know, environment of, of people coming and going. So they really don't have much in the way of facilities to teach somebody uh, you know, a game or an activity like pickleball. Cook County happens to be unique. Even though they have, I don't know, six, 7,000 men and women back there, they really only have two gymnasiums that I could teach in. They don't have a courtyard or a yard where uh, the detainees can go uh, you know, during the day. As a matter of fact, you have, it's a unique situation, but you have somebody staying there three, four, five years that haven't seen the sun in, in that length of time. Now, so a, a jail like that may or may not have a facility, all right, the, like a gymnasium. If you go to something like um, San Quentin, for example, they have a yard where you have something maybe the size of three, four, five football fields that the inmates are put out there during the day. And when you when you teach at a place like that, probably you'll be teaching, uh, you know, in an outdoor facility on asphalt. Mm. Right. So you really need to be flexible kind of in what you're doing and what you're, you know, what you're prepared to do. Uh, you know, at this stage of my life, I've been in a variety of prisons and jails and they're, and they're all different and they have different rules um, as far as what's acceptable, what isn't. Somebody kind of humorously said they're a little bit like Catholic churches in Mexico. You know, they're all the same. They're very much secure, but they're all different. And mm. that's been my experience. It's also very surprising to me that the policies not only are different, but they I think they probably take on the personality of the warden or the person who runs the place. Are, are they want to be directed toward rehabilitation? Do they have the mindset that we're really warehousing people? Um, and, you know, in some place in between. So it's, it's very unique in the sense that they, they, they're so different. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering whether... Um you know, as you say, the tone is sort of set from the top, right? The the management and and it can have a different kind of complexion from one from one facility to another. I'm wondering whether you have ever sort of faced resistance from um, not so much the detainees, but from the uh, from the administration at these facilities. Like, oh, here comes this guy again, the pickleball guy. It, do you ever do you ever feel that, or is it generally like, hey, this is something that's working well, and no, no. you know, we'll, we'll have them come by as often as we can? No, no, that that that's absolutely the norm. I mean, no little boy or little girl says, when I grow up, I want to work in a prison. All right, I mean, it's it's dangerous. The low pay, um, you know, things can happen at at any time. It's not a pleasant environment because you place you're, you're around so much negativity. Uh, I've worked very hard at introducing pickleball into the correctional system. I've had success, but I've had an awful lot of resistance, and I've been said no to many more times. Than I've said been, been uh, heard the word yes. Mm. So it's it's very much of an uphill battle. 
But what I've learned, and it's like a lot of things in life, if you can get the support at the top, then people underneath basically say, all right, we'll support it. And so that's one of the strategies I use of introducing it from coast to coast um, is to try to get uh, support at the top and then go from there. But I don't want to make it sound like you just call your local prison and says, well, here I am. I'll be there next Tuesday. That's not the way it works at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, part of it, part of it's the mindset, and I've learned so much, is on the inside when there's problems is when there's what they call movement. In other words, when uh, inmates or detainees are moved from one place to another because there's so many problems with gangs on the inside. And so the mindset is if we keep them locked down, then we're not having movement and we're not having problems. So so many facilities, that's exactly the, the perspective that they come from. Hmm. So I can see how that can be you know, at odds with this idea of, hey, let's open up our gym and we're going to have this guy come in and he's going to teach a sport and they're going to yeah. play. I can see how that, you know, if you're worried about movement is then pickleball um, <laughs> might cause a little bit of stress. I'm wondering, could you tell me a little bit about um, who is it that you're teaching? Who are these inmates? Um, you know, what's their story? You know, I, I know there's different degrees of sort of severity when people would be in there. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the people that you're teaching? Well, at this time, I've taught so many, all right? Um, there's things that are appropriate and things that are not appropriate. You don't walk into a prison and go up to an individual and say, well, what are you in for? Because maybe he was not going to tell you anyway, particularly if he's a child molester or, or something like that. Uh, I can t The thought that comes to my mind is I was back in Chicago, and I worked with a, a you know, about 25, this happened to be men. And afterwards, I was talking to the, one of the officers. By the way, they're officers, not guards. And he said to me, he said, Roger, there's a body associated with every person in that room. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, every person in that room has been charged with murder. And they're waiting for the court date. Oh, wow. And it sent, it sent chills up my spine because I can just imagine if somebody was innocent, for even, for example, but the amount of stress that's in that environment, because here you are charged with murder, and everybody around you has been charged with murder, too. So obviously, that's kind of an extreme situation. But you go into a regular prison, and you might have maximum security, you might have minimum security. Um, of basically of all crimes. And of course, in our society right now, an awful lot of people have, are in prison because of drug problems. And also one of the things I've really learned is so many people that are in prison have mental problems. There's mental mm -hmm. illness. About, mm -hmm. I, I'd say I've been told roughly one-third, to various degrees of all inmates have some, some type of mental problems. Right. Hmm. So it sounds like it's a really... Um it can be a really interesting place. It also seems like it could be a volatile place. It's very volatile. You know, we haven't talked about any place other than um, Chicago, but it's very common to hear, uh, you know, alarms going off and there's some type of problems. On, I'll, I'll kind of say this. On the outside, our society is very politically correct as far as inclusion. 
but it's, it's on the inside, it's 180 degrees opposite. First of all, once you walk in, you're defined by your race, and you, you're going to end up in some type of organization called a gang. And that starts with the race, but you, in, you also have like the Bloods and the Crips, which are you know both uh, 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 black groups. But you stick with your gang because that's part of your protection. You need that gang to confront other gangs when there's a problem. So it's it's a it's an environment that's very unique as compared to most people who don't know much about it. And you know I guess it's good that they don't, but. There's also the mindset if they knew more about what was going on inside our prisons, then what they would do is maybe focus more on rehabilitating these men and women. Because I like to say, here's a statistic, is um, 97% of the, the people on the inside will eventually be released. So today's inmate is going to be tomorrow's neighbor. And Roger's perspective on this is if we can make them better people on the inside, it's going to make it safer for all of us once they get on the outside. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a win-win situation well, if, it go, if it goes well. It could be. Yeah, well, well, that and that's really one part of the reason that I introduced pickleball. You know, my focus was they're going to benefit from getting exercise. I mean, we all do that. I mean, we all know that. But what I wanted to do once I got on the inside is I wanted to teach them life skills like learning from mistakes, thinking about consequences, being a good teammate, and how that pays off. And so I certainly go in when I teach. I don't preach that stuff, but I try to lead by example. And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but... Uh, the USA Today article that was written and ended up on the front page. I'm sitting on the bench, and if somebody Googles this, they'll find it. And I'm sitting with, with one of the detainees, and he said, Roger, look out here on the court. Some of these guys are in opposite gangs. They would not even talk to each other before pickleball. And now look at them. They're not only playing together, they're laughing together. And Mark, how wonderful is that? In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. If you're just joining me, today I'm speaking with Roger Belair. He tours across North America teaching pickleball to people who are living in prisons. Let's get back to our conversation. You mentioned how, you know, very early on when people arrive in one of these facilities, uh, they find themselves, you know, with a group, um, a gang or some other, you know, version of that. And that's what I was wondering is how does that kind of internal organization of people how does that then play out or not on the pickleball court? Do you, you know, is it the kind of thing where they just sort of leave that at the door and all of a sudden, you know, guys who are in rival gangs are now happy to play together? Or do you find that you get, you know, pickleball can be a pretty aggressive sport and that involves hitting people with the ball, often intentionally. I'm wondering um, how 
the fact that it's in a prison, which has its own kind of ecosystem, I'm wondering how that's similar or different than, you know, when people are out playing at the park or the rec center and, you know, they mix up partners regularly after every game or someone gets hit by a ball. Can you talk a little bit about, um, about that, about how the internal dynamics um, impact what happens on the pickleball court or not? Well, those are really good questions. And let me back up just a, a second if I can. When I went back there, um, I first of all, I stood up and I was introduced, and here's Roger, and he's going to uh, talk to us about pickleball. Well, as you can imagine, everybody just kind of rolled their eyes. And and some guys got up and went to a water fountain to get a drink and that type of thing. And, and I was pretty nervous uh, because I wasn't familiar with this type of situation, and I didn't know what to expect. But what was interesting to me is after they were out on the court, and some of the guys says, oh, I'm sick today. I don't want to do this. I, you know, but, but after they got on the court, within five minutes, they were like little kids on the playground. Hmm. You know, they, they, they love the game just exactly like you and I do, Mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a terrific game. But, but all this macho stuff of the strut, the strut and that type of thing, they left that all behind after about five minutes on the court. And then, then I had them, all right? And so then they'd listen to me, and, you know, we talk about the game, and they, and they learn the game. Now, on the outside, we, you know, we pretty much mix up partners a lot. They have a tendency to certainly want to stay right within their nucleus of uh, two guys saying, I want to continue to play with him, or, you know, we, we want to play together. But I found that I could break down a lot of barriers, and I, initially, I, I, I wasn't even where I was doing it because I'd say, you two guys over there, get on the other side of the net, and these guys are going to take you on, and, and they'd fall in line. So um, while on the court, we broke down some barriers, and but after they get off the court, well, then it's a lot more like what I told you about earlier. And, yeah. and again, every situation is different, um, but it's a, just, just a very unique world on the inside. Yeah, that's so fascinating. That and you can, it, yeah, and I can imagine that, you know, that there's sort of a hierarchy there, right? And, and like in any kind of environment, the hierarchy is built on different things. And I wonder, and, you know, maybe you can't answer this as someone who's not, you know, a resident at the, um, at the correctional facility, but I wonder whether someone, you know, who maybe occupies one, one place on the hierarchy in like normal life, and then all of a sudden, maybe because of their pickleball prowess, you know, all of a sudden then that changes kind of where they exist on that hierarchy afterwards, right? And I wonder I, whether... I, I, oh, I, I interrupt you. I, w- I would say not, frankly. because you, you say hierarchy. I'll tell you, it's a lot more like the mafia. You know, you got your Don, and he's hmm. the one that says, um, here's what's going to happen today. We're going to have a fight with these people over there. Or I was... I was not respected by such and such an individual, um, and we're going to have him stabbed. You know, and I'm being direct here. Um, so on the inside, that's, you know, they, they call it the shot caller. The shot caller is the one that was in charge, and everybody marches to his order. His order. So it's very much like, uh, it's, it's very much like the mafia. Hmm. I'm wondering... Um if you can paint for us a little bit more of a picture, you know, I was asking questions about 
you know, once once they're already up and playing, what happens? I'm wondering about uh, that initial touch, that first experience. So you mentioned before that you're there and say, like, okay, here's Roger. He's going to come teach pickleball. And some guys roll their eyes and go to the water fountain. Mm-hmm. Can you p- help paint a picture for us a little bit of, I don't know, like what does that initial that initial session look like, those first 20 minutes? What is it that you're doing with them? First of all, how many people will you typically have at a time? Well, since we're playing in a gymnasium, you can set up three courts. So that means there's going to be 12 people on a court at a time. What I try to do is teach a larger group, maybe 20 to 24 people. And and after they learn, so I, my style very much is to use a lot of humor. Uh, I have a lot of one-liners. I have a lot of short stories. So I'll talk for two, three minutes, and then I'll get everybody out on the court, and then we'll repeat that. And so we can uh, teach a lot of people. I tell them a game is normally played to 11, but we're going to play games to five. And then what happens is those people uh, go to the bench, and the next group comes in. So what I'm trying to do is teach an awful lot of people how to play the game in a short amount of time. Because as you know, once people know how to do it, um, then then they can kind of, you know, just just kind of take over. The situation is different, Mark, now because I've had so much publicity that there's so many articles written. Before I go into a prison, a lot of times those those articles are circulated, and they get quotes from from uh, that that somebody they might read is like one drug dealer said, you know, my my drug uh, choice these days is pickleball. You know, how wonderful, how <laughs> wonderful for him to say something like that. Yeah. You know, you know, or they might say, read, read NPR had a, led with a, a quote that one uh, inmate screamed at another, I'd beat the hell out of you, but if I did, I couldn't play pickleball. Well, again, how terrific. And so the people on the inside read that. So now when I walk in, it's completely different than initially when I started. And I can tell you, even like in Chicago, and I told you the initial reaction. You know, the, the last time I was there, I felt like Santa Claus walking into a grade school. I walk in and people say, hey, guys, Ro- Roger's here. Roger's here, everybody. And they're coming up and giving me high fives. And I haven't seen these guys in months. But mm. how wonderful and terrific and, and exciting for me to witness that type of thing. Um, because like one of the officers said to me, he said, you know, Roger, you're not going to remember these guys as individuals, and maybe they won't even remember your name, but what they will remember is you're the guy that introduced pickleball to them. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, this is something that, um, you know, by touching on this, this is something that I think all coaches and really teachers of any kind uh, need to keep in mind is how much of an influence they can have on the people they're teaching and very often they won't even they won't they won't have any idea how much of an influence they've had right how much they've meant to them um because you know they never have a chance the the student never says to them hey by the way you changed my life because that's a tough thing to talk about but um that's a nice illustration of what an impact teachers can have well of course it is and and a lot of coaches and a lot of teachers certainly do this situation is particularly um different because they have so little to look forward to you know it's a matter of playing cards during the day watching a little bit of tv and you can compare that with sitting in a cell or maybe reading and some of the people can't even read as compared to the joy that we all face when we get on the pickleball court 
Yeah. So I, on the inside is something really to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, you know, you went somewhere and then you came back several months later. And that was mm-hmm. something I was curious about whether sort of what your involvement typically is with a facility. Is it like a one and done, you know, you go in there, you teach your thing, here's pickleball guys, and then you leave. Or um, it sounds like at least some of the time you have this ongoing relationship, right? Where you come back and revisit. And if that is the case, my question was, you know, you've mentioned a number of times um, the kind of violence that can go on in prisons. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering whether there have been times where, you know, you've gone back to somewhere, you know, to continue the the teaching um, and someone that you remember from before, you know, wasn't there because of violence. Well, you don't know if somebody's not there because of violence. They, you know, they got transferred to a different place. They got released. So you don't know. And you can't, you know, what I'm there to do is I'm there to help, but I don't want to get too close to these people as individuals and know their name and uh, have an interaction uh, or certainly give them my email or or address or anything like that. Matter of fact, I've been advised not to by the the administration. So, um, Mm. you know, so it's, it's, it's a transitory environment. Now each, and I've said this before, each environment is different. Um, Sometimes I'm only in there once. Sometimes I'll be there for three days. Sometimes I'll be there for a week. Once I can start the process, then it's very, I leave the equipment and, and it's very easy for them to continue because they know the rules. You know, pickleball is a simple game to learn. It's hard to be proficient, but it's a simple game to, to learn the basics. You know, I'm not the one that makes the decision on that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very supportive, but the administration really calls the shots as far as, well, here's how long sessions are going to be. Sometimes they'll say, you know, you have to do it during their rec time, and the rec time is between two and four. Other times they'll say, well, you tell us when you want to teach, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, let them out of the cells, that type of thing. So every situation is different. Uh, I'm working with ambassadors uh, in, in, around the country who are introducing the game to new prisons, and they they really want to try to set up a situation where they can go back every couple of weeks and and teach the, the men and women additional skills so they can improve their 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 skill level. And I think that's just terrific. Uh, I haven't I haven't been doing that. Right. Did you say a minute ago? Um, you know, in my mind, it was sort of okay. Here comes Roger with the nets and the paddles and all that equipment. But mm-hmm. did you say that sometimes that equipment gets left behind? And I'm wondering whether. Are they playing pickleball when you're not there? Like, has, are there examples of administrations that have sort of set it up where, you know, during rec time, if you want to go set up the nets, go for it? Or is it sort of, okay, we get to play pickleball when the pickleball guy's here? Well, you know, it, it's not a matter of uh, go setting up the nets and going for it. On the inside, so many items are used for weapons. And so the determination will be, be, be made by the rec supervisor that I'm going to allow them to play pickleball today. So all the equipment, every single piece of equipment is is uh, is counted. They you know they go out on the court and they play, and then every single piece is recounted and put away before one person leaves that room. Oh wow! One one time you know there was a piece missing. Well, what that meant is every single one of those guys got strip search. 
you know, they they go into a small room. Yeah. With absolutely no no clothes on, because what happens is these they're very creative at, at creating weapons. All right, and so the administration's not going to take any chances. They'll they'll take even something like a toothbrush. But you say, well, what can happen with a toothbrush? They'll file that down, or they'll end up with a spear. And then what they'll do is they'll put weeds on top of it, and then they'll—I'm just using this as an example—go out in the yard and stick it in the ground, because if a, a fight breaks out, they know where that is. It looks like a weed. They'll go grab it, and now all of a sudden they have a weapon. Right. And I can imagine, you know, anyone who's set up a temporary pickleball net knows that, you know, those could be significantly more um, dangerous, right? The metal pieces and all sure, that. Sure, sure. So I guess that makes so a lot of sense. The, the, the men and women on the inside, they'd, they'd play 24 hours a day if they could. They'd get up in the middle of the night to play. But the shots are really called by the administration, who's short-staffed, realizes the problems are when there's movement. And so you have various degrees. Some rec supervisors know how great this is for the individuals. Uh, you know, others who are, are officers say, oh, you want to play that? I don't think so this week. Right. It's just weird. Hmm. That's the way the game's played. Yeah. Um, you've been very generous with your time. I want to ask you one more question. And I'm wondering, you know, you've shared a few stories about, uh, you know, opposing gang members playing together and violence wanting to break out, but realizing that that might mean their pickleball is taken away. I wonder um, if you have one more story, whether it's of a particular person or a particular place that, you know, when this is all done and you think back on your career or your history of teaching pickleball uh, in prisons, I'm wondering whether some some memory or story will really stand out for you. Well, after Chicago and after the USA Today piece uh, was on the front page, and what happened on that, that was a, a, a sports story. But the reporter wrote it up. The editors were so impressed, and they said, Roger, you're going toe-to-toe with Donald Trump. And I said, what? And they said... Here's, a, here, here's what's happening. If Trump does something on Friday, he's going to get the headlines on the paper. Otherwise, we're going to put the story on pickleball on the front page of the USA Today. And I guess I'll always remember that because of how I felt. And uh, hmm. it wasn't about me. And it really wasn't about pickleball. It was about the men and women on the inside and knowing that was making a difference for them. But that's opened a lot of doors for me from starting from there to being in New York City, where they have about 100,000 people flow through that system every year. And after I got through teaching at Rikers Island, the deputy commissioner ordered pickleball for all 11 of their facilities. So many of those people going through New York City, um, you know, Rikers Island is is a jail, Mark, you know, are playing pickleball. But it's also opened doors for me of, I was in Corcoran here last month in california and that's where charles manson was down in that type of facility so it's really spreading from from coast to coast because of of that usa today piece oh it's amazing how one thing can make such a difference isn't it sure yeah sure Uh, um well roger belair you've been very generous with your time thank you so much for joining us today and um one thing i wanted to bring up i mean you're well known for the work that you're doing teaching pickleball inside prisons but that's not the only place that you teach. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more, um, you know, if people want to come out and do some pickleball lessons with you or or see where you are uh, out on the court, where might they find you? 
Well, I also teach in, in the Pacific Northwest uh, around Seattle where I live. But the place I really enjoy is a destination health spa called Rancho La Porta, which is about 45 minutes outside of San Diego. It's a world-class facility, and I'm the guest instructor down there, so I'm down there two or three times a year, and I absolutely love it. And I say I, I work with both edges of our, our society. You know, the people that are fortunate enough to go to a place like that, and then a month later I might be inside a maximum security prison. Mm. So you really do see the extremes, don't you? <laughs> Those are the extremes, yeah. Yeah. But the well, report, I, I love that, that that place. And we will definitely link to that. So anyone who's interested in learning more about uh, it and where you're out teaching pickleball, um, they can find it. Uh, thanks again, Roger. Really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, good luck continuing to grow pickleball uh, everywhere, including inside prisons. Thanks, Mark. All right. Take care. Bye. And we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot for listening this week, and thanks to our special guest, Roger Belair, for telling us about his fascinating work. If you have a story that you think we should know about, send us an email, hello at thirdshotsports.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Mark Renison.